0: Okay, so um, last week, Barb shared with you Matthew 24. And Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 are one teaching session. And it was triggered by the disciples asking Jesus, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so Matthew 24, he goes into what the actual signs are, what will happen on this earth before Jesus comes. And then in the middle of that, he has three parables. And these parables teach us how we should be living in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. And then the last section of Matthew 25, once more, he talks about the actual event of Jesus coming back to earth. So let's start with Matthew 25. And we'll start with the first section, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. So I'll just read it. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So the setting for this parable is a wedding. And uh, the disciples and Jesus, they had been to weddings. And the setting of the wedding, um, just a little bit of background, is that a wedding in that time, there had three parts to it. So the first was the engagement. This is when the two fathers would meet and they would make arrangements for their son or daughter to be married. Then the next step was the betrothal. And this was when the, the, the son and the daughter, those to be married, would get together and they would have mutual promises for each other. And this was as binding as the marriage. After this ceremony, the mutual promises were made, then the the groom-to-be would go back to his father's house, and he would spend a whole year preparing for the wedding. He would prepare the house, he would, all the necessary things that had to be done before they would be married. And then a year later, he would come back for his bride. And it was usually in the evening, and so that's why the the attendants for the bride, they would have torches. And not little lamps, but these were torches with rags bound at the top, dipped in the oil. And then they would go out to meet the bridegroom. It was a real celebration. And they would light the way for the bridegroom to come. So in this parable, we know that Jesus is the bridegroom and he is coming back. And it's interesting in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, he says, Jesus says, In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so the question for us is, how do we prepare to to meet Jesus? And I think in this parable we, we learn that the first thing we have to do is to make sure that we belong to him. And so... When we believe in Jesus and trust him for the forgiveness of our sins, what he did for us, we come to know, we come to belong to him. And, and another transaction that occurs when we trust in him, we receive the Holy Spirit. So we know we belong to Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. And in John 7:37, Jesus said, on the last day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit. So God gives us his Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1.13, he said, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And another way of putting this is, uh, speaker said, is that the seal is like the engagement ring we have the holy spirit he's our engagement ring it is sure as can be it is secure so we belong to jesus when we have his holy spirit and that comes through he comes just by believing in him and that should give us great cause of rejoicing that when jesus comes we are ready to meet him we have the holy spirit and I think um, Fanny Crosby expressed it so well in her hymn, Blessed Assurance. What, what does the first verse say? It says, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. So we can be rejoicing in our salvation. So who do the foolish virgins represent? Well, in Jesus' day, I believe they represented the religious people, the Pharisees and the scribes. And on the outside, Jesus said they looked beautiful, but it's just like the foolish virgins. On the outside, there was no difference. They were all dressed for the wedding. You could not tell which were the wise or which were the foolish. But as Jesus said, on the outside, the Pharisees, they looked good, they looked holy, they looked righteous, but he said, on the inside, you are unclean and your body is full of dead bones. So, for today, I think the application would be, who are the foolish virgins? It's those who, on the outside, have the appearance of being holy and righteous. And we cannot tell the difference they may be in church, they may be serving, they may be tithing, they may be doing all kinds of good things, but they do not belong to Jesus. They do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. So, um, And so the, their, what it says, their fate is dreadful. It says when Jesus comes back and they come to him and they want to enter into the wedding the celebration, and they say, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answers and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. They were not prepared. They had not made themselves ready for the coming of Jesus. And so the last verse in this parable, Jesus says, watch therefore, or another way to say that is, be ready, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man Man is coming. So for us, the question is, do we know that we belong to him? Do we have his indwelling Holy Spirit? And uh, the stakes are so high. Let's make sure that we are truly his. So then the next parable is the parable of the talents. And before we read it, I'll just explain that the talent is not money, but it's a huge, it's not, I mean, an ability, but the talent is money. And it's a huge amount. Um, what it is, one talent would be the equivalent of 6,000 denarii. And that may not mean much to you, but what one denarii was is the amount of a wage for a, uh, a worker it's the typical wage for one day one denarii so 5 denarii which is what the first servant received that's a huge amount in fact each amount is huge and in this parable the man traveling to a far country is jesus and he is going to heaven okay so let's read this parable <clears throat> For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made five talents more. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his lord's money. After a long time, the lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. You have been faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has more will be given And he will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in this parable, what the the man who went away and gave his uh, servants Goods to them. That represents Jesus going to heaven. And while he is in heaven, we are his servants. And he has given us gifts and abilities that he has entrusted to us. We are to manage his affairs while he is in heaven. And so each one of us has that responsibility. Each one of us has a work to do for the Lord to use the gifts and the abilities that he has given us And not only our own uh, gifts that we've been born with, but those that we have acquired. And it's very interesting because now that we have grandchildren, I'm watching them grow and develop. And it's interesting that each of them has their own special interests, their own special gifts, their own special abilities. And I know you will notice that among your children as well. And these are the things that God has given us. They are... He, he. When we were knit in our mother's womb, he was there forming us and giving us these special abilities, and so we have the obligation, the duty, the privilege of using these for the Lord, and um, and not only that, but he has also given each one of us a spiritual gift, and and it says in Ephesians four eighteen but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So the picture here is in ancient times when there would be a battle, when the um, captain of the army came back, there would be a, a procession, and they would come back with all the spoils of war, And they would give gifts to all the people in celebration. And when it says here, he ascended on high, well, what it is, Jesus, when he died and rose again, he rose, he was triumphant over Satan. And in celebration, he gives us children gifts. And it's a spiritual gift that he gives each one of us. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, As each one has received a gift, Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Do you notice there? As good stewards. All things as as the manifold grace of God. So we have the privilege of having the uh, spiritual gift, and we cannot let it be idle. We don't have that option. Jesus, while while he's in heaven, he is expecting us to serve one another. And there are many different ways we can do that. In the church, there are so many different areas. There's the nursery, there's hospitality, there's administration, there's teaching, and our natural abilities come into play here. But there's also the spiritual gift, that's a gift. It's not something we normally have, it's a gift. And it can be along with our natural gift, For instance, if it's the gift of I have music, God can take a spiritual gift and add to it. Or if you have a good ability to communicate, then the spiritual gift can go alongside that and give you just that supernatural, uh, divine ability to carry out what God has assigned us to do. There's one woman who has been a real inspiration to me. She is 94 years old. And this summer, she is leading a missions trip, Bev, to Newfoundland. (laughs) And she has been leading missions trips for the last 15 years. And she sings in the choir at People's Church. She's involved in uh, Bible study. But what it is, she has inspired me that, you know something? We can never reach that point where we say, I'm done. I'm retired. I've served the Lord. We use our gifts and abilities. And in fact, when Jenna asked me to teach Sunday school two years ago, I hummed and hawed and I said, Hmm, I think I'm too old for this. And I was like the lazy, the servant who was lazy. I was feeling, you know what? I just don't feel it. But then I'm so thankful the Lord convicted me and he. And I said yes. And the thing is, when we use our abilities for the Lord, when we use our spiritual gifts, there is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. And if maybe you're lacking joy in your life, it could be. Maybe you're not using your gifts and your spiritual gifts for the Lord. Now, the next thing we notice is that the, when Jesus comes back, we will give an account to him. And the encouraging thing is that when we stand before him, he will judge us, not on our accomplishments, but he will judge us on our faithfulness. And that is such a relief. We don't have to show him all this big set of accomplishments because he gives to us according to our ability It can be our accomplishments, maybe this many or this many, but that's not the point. He said, well done, for you have been faithful over a few things. And so for us, the point is, are we faithfully serving him with our time, our energy, our abilities? And uh, we can expect then him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And so from here we learn that the reward is exactly the same. So whether we have done lots or, or, or a small amount is not the point. The point is if we have been faithful and if Uh, And our reward will be the same. So then we see the next servant. And this is the servant who does not know Jesus, does not belong to him. And we know that because of the way he refers to Jesus. He says, Lord, you are a hard man. You are mean. You have expected more of me than I'm even capable of, that I'm even capable of. So we know that he did not belong to Jesus. And the Lord answered him. The Lord exposed him and said, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And then he says to him at the end, he casts the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a terrifying outcome. May we hear the Lord say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. So the next section, the last section now, is when the Son of Man will return. So this is now a real event. It's happening in the future. It hasn't happened yet. And... Uh, okay. Okay, so Jesus, we'll all read this section and then we'll discuss it. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So what we notice from the first verse is that... When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his holy angels with him, then he will sit on his throne of glory. And in chapter 24, Jesus refers to that as well. And it says, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So when Jesus comes back to earth, He's going to come in a very visible way. It's going to be like lightning across the sky. Everyone will see him. And in Thessalonians, it says he's coming with his angels with fiery vengeance. He's coming to earth to execute judgment. And it's going to be a terrifying experience to see Jesus coming. If you do not know him, there will be fear and trembling. And then we notice when he comes this time in the previous chapter in the parables he's referred to as a bridegroom as a, as the man who went to a far country but in here Jesus is now referred to as the king he's coming back to rule and again we have and he comes and he's going to judge all the nations they will all appear before him but it's not the nations as a whole again we will he will judge individuals and he will separate them as sheep and goats are separated the sheep on one side the goats on the other and that again it represents two classes of people all through this chapter we see two classes those who know Jesus and those who don't know him and so they are separated. And so for the first ones, he said, blessed are you, Uh, I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. And it's almost like the people, when they answer him, they say, when did we see you hungry? When did we give you drink? It's almost like they're astonished. We don't remember that. And I think these types of um, things that he's referring to can be classified more as mercy ministries, showing love to each other, just small things, meeting practical needs. It's giving someone a meal when they're in need or visiting someone who's sick. And I think what Jesus said is in John, all these things are, are I guess, would be Love would be at the basis of all this, showing love to each other. And isn't that what Jesus said just before he left? He gave the command in John chapter 13, verses, or John chapter 14, verses 34 and 35. He said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. So these are not the great big. Uh, in um, deeds that we do that everybody notices and and no, they're just small, seemingly insignificant things. But Jesus notices everything we do, whether it's just giving someone a meal. He notices. He pays attention, and we will be rewarded for that. And so then now we see the next group of people, the ones who do not know Jesus. And it's the same thing. They did not have the love of Christ in them. They were not demonstrating love for people. They were showing that they did not belong to Jesus. And their fate is terrifying. Jesus said to them that in verse 41, he said, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And from here we see that God prepared the lake of fire for the devil and his angels. He did not prepare the lake of fire, hell. He did not prepare it for people. He prepared, he prepared it for Satan. And so those who end up there with him are those who have aligned themselves with Satan and, and have rejected Jesus. And their fate is a terrifying one. And as I was preparing this, it reminded me of this woman I was talking to up at Dokis, the Native Reserve, and she said her husband had had this terrifying dream. And it was this, he was hanging from a long rope, and he was just, it was, he was hanging on for dear life. But underneath him, it was a whole lake of fire, the flames were coming up. And he was so terrified. And I believe this dream was from the Lord because the next morning when he woke up, he said to his wife, I need to get a Bible. I have to read the Bible. Somehow he knew the answer was found in the Bible. And he read the Bible from the beginning to end, she said. And hopefully, trustingly, when he came to John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in him, should not perish but have everlasting life and hopefully we pray that he would have believed in jesus and so we see here that the stakes are so high we may need to um and we know jesus is coming back anytime we need to be ready to meet him so i think in summary, for chapters 24 and 25, I think a good verse which summarizes it for us is chapter 25, verse 13, and it says, again, we read it before, it says, watch therefore, be ready, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And in light of what Barb shared last week in teaching us through Matthew 24, it seems like when we look at the world around us and all the signs that are coming to pass, that his coming is soon. And so how do we prepare ourselves? How are we going to watch? The first thing we do is to make sure that we belong to Jesus, that we have put our trust in him, that his Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. And then as we wait for his return, we are faithful to him. We are using our gifts and abilities, our spiritual gift, our time and our energies for him. And we will do this all with love, serving one another. In Jesus, he said there, you did this unto my brethren. Well, it's each other. That's who we are. We are his brethren. So we serve each other in love. So uh, shall we just finish with prayer and thank the Lord for this? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is powerful. I thank you, Father, that in your word you teach us about who you are and what your plans are for us and what the future is. Thank you, Father, that we can have a blessed hope that we are going to be rejoicing when we see you. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would be ready to meet you and that each one of us will hear you say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.